0: Welcome everyone, this is Dr. Mercola helping you take control of your health and I'm excited to answer the questions you had about keto and my new book, Keto Fasting, which comes out April 30th. It really is a follow-up to my uh, top best-selling book, Fat for Fuel, which came out two years ago and really provided the foundational basis for how you need to implement a keto diet to benefit and receive the maximum amount of, of metabolic uh, improvements. So there are a lot of questions around this though, and I thought I would go over them with you today. I did. There is a part one to this, so uh, you'll find answers to other questions in that section, so I would definitely review that one. And, uh, but we'll continue with some of the further um, questions that were asked. So our first question, um, a set of questions, comes from about the truths and myths about keto. So Maxi one asked, how does this differ from paleo? And I think that's a great question and I will expand it to not only paleo but keto, cyclical keto and a calorie-restricted diet, because there's a lot of confusion around these terms, and there should be, because it's not really well-defined anywhere. So, paleo has been around a long time, and that essentially refers to an ancestral way of eating, eating, where you're focusing on healthy foods, avoiding non-organic GMO foods and really eating ancestors uh, or foods that our ancestors focused on. So that doesn't necessarily relate to any way, shape, or form to the amount of calories you're eating or the type of calories or the timing. Uh, It's a healthy way to eat for sure. And I think um, if you integrate, you can easily integrate paleo into keto. So what is keto? Keto is a form of eating that uh, essentially restricts your carbohydrates and uh, probably total calories too, but carbohydrates being the main one and certainly protein, you can't have hundreds of grams of protein and no carbs and think that's going to work. Uh, well actually that could work for a while, if, like the carnivore diet, but that's a, that's a tangent. So because essentially if you eliminate carbs, you will force your body to deplete its glycogen stores. That's the form of glucose storage that your body has, typically in your liver, but it's also in your muscles. And as a result of that glycogen depletion, you really force your body to find an alternate energy source, and that thankfully we have a source as stored as fat. Um, certainly mammals have this ability to do this, and the most classic example would be bears. You know, understand this, they go to sleep and they hibernate for three to four months, three to four months, uh, whales are another example, that go for months without eating a morsel. So they've adapted, and we have the same metabolic capacity to eat, to go without food for a while. It's really, in many cases, not months, but a, a lot longer than most of us are doing. Because Sachin Panda out of the uh, Salk Institute of California, really a brilliant researcher, has uh, helped us understand that 90% of the people in the United States eat more than 12 hours a day. So. They're, they're not, it's not a time-restricted eating, and certainly the, the, that is an element of, uh, I think, a healthy diet, not necessarily paleo, or not necessarily a calorie-restricted diet, which is merely restricting the amount of calories that you're normally des, uh, designed to maintain your uh, health uh, by 20, 30 uh, percent, and I don't think, for most people, it's not necessary. Essentially, and this is really the only form of diet that has been um identified or observed to really improve longevity in most animals and in even humans so and, and even insects so it's it's a powerful strategy for sure, but you can achieve those same benefits without going through the calorie restriction because calorie restriction is. The compliance for that is notoriously horrendous. Very, very few people can do it. Certainly, we're looking at one or two people out of hundred of that. So, and, and, I, and I think it's good because it's, you know, I think the reason for the lack of compliance is it's not a healthy approach. So, keto is low carb, and I think the ideal sweet spot is really what I described in Fat for Fuel, and certainly in keto fasting, is cyclical ketosis. So, you engage in a process of keto for a while, how long? As long as it takes your body to convert to burning fat for fuel, and the way you'll know that is you start to release ketones in your blood, which are water-soluble fats produced by your liver and burned as energy, and a surplus is it can be measured in your blood by a blood test. You can also measure your breath and your urine, but the blood's the most accurate. And we you're above 0.3, 0.5 millimoles, then you know you're in ketosis, and you have the ability to burn fat for fuel. And you're what's considered metabolically flexible. So once you achieve this through a keto approach, this could take a week, two weeks, a, full, a month, maybe longer if you're metabolically injured like many people who are severely overweight and certainly a large number of those people, pun intended, in the United States, one third to 40% of the population in most, if not many, if, many, if not most states. So. Once, you know, those individuals may take a little bit longer than four weeks, but I said the, the average person's four weeks, and if you're not that overweight, which is typically a, a sign of resistance to metabolic flexibility, then it might take a week or so. So whenever you're burning ketos, then you can go into cyclical keto, because I will, and the foundational reason for this is so important to understand. I'm sorry I'm repeating it because I did go over this in the last presentation, is that. If you maintain yourself on chronic keto or continuous keto, I think you are just asking for complications and disasters. It's not a good strategy. And I think it will invariably hurt you. So you want to essentially replicate a feast and famine, feast and famine, and with the partial fasting and cyclical keto or keto fasting, which is an advanced form of cyclical keto, because one or two days a week, you won't be eating hardly any food. You'll be eating 90% less food. 95 uh, percent of the food, maybe three or five hundred calories, and that's it for a 42-hour period. And that essentially will uh, reproduce, replicate, and provide this almost identical benefits as calorie restriction will, because you'll be getting that uh, reduced amount of calorie over the calories over the week, but you won't be suffering. In fact, you'll be feasting. You can have it, eat as much as you want the day after a partial fast. No limit, except that I think it's still wise to honor the time-restricted eating or intermittent fasting on a regular basis. And for most of us, I think that should be about six hours if some people can struggle with that than eight, but I, I don't think you should be eating any more than eight hours a day. So just like you wanna sleep for about eight hours, you wanna eat for eight hours. Isn't that interesting? So obviously when you're sleeping, you're not gonna eat. So the other eight, adding another eight to that uh, you know four hours, before, four hours after you sleep, is a, probably a really good, simple strategy. And even if you did just that, that simple strategy, you're gonna see an improvement in your health that will shock you. I mean, in the lectures I give, the most important point I made, the most important slide I have is the compression window, And that is just profound. And I think very few clinicians understand and recognize the importance of that simple intervention. So, continuing with the questions. Long answer, but I think it's important to develop and establish a foundation. So Kath MF asks, I generally eat a low carb diet, but it's not follow macronutrient suggestions of the keto diet. Um, I purchased the keto strips. Can they be used to determine when I move into cyclical keto or the length of time I need to produce ketones? So as soon as you start producing ketones, you can go to partial fasting and the keto fast program. So the The best way to do that is a blood test. And I don't recall if I knew the last question and answer, but since then, certainly since then, and maybe before then I don't recall, I found a new blood testing ketone um, device. And it's called Ketone, the word Ketone, Coach, C-O-A-C-H, X, all one word, dot com. they sell the strips for seventy cents. Initially, when I first started doing ketosis, the strips were about four dollars. You could, if you scoured eBay, you could maybe find them for two or between two and three dollars. But you'd have to buy them up a large number of them. So and then Keto Mojo came out uh, in response to that, and they got the price down to a dollar. But this Keto Coach X is seventy cents. So you know, this way, if you miss, you're not as disappointed you know that you lost four dollars and you had to throw it away but the other benefit of the keto coach x device which i prefer much over the keto mojo is that it's much thinner it's easier to travel with and, and probably the most important feature is that the strips are individually foil packed so they stay fresh for a long time they won't it won't be difficult to expire and it's just so easy to travel with it's the keto the keto mojo is a is almost twice as thick as the Keto Coach X. so I like the device a lot, it's just, I give it five stars, it's a good one. Okay, Revis Dezabine asks, can you really be on a keto diet indefinitely? And I think I mentioned that in the first question, the answer is you could, but why would you? Because you're gonna hurt yourself. So. Uh, it could seem indefinitely if you're morbidly obese and you have two, three, four hundred pounds to lose or more, even, then you may be on it. I mean, there are people who have fasted no food at all for over a year. Uh, so, uh, clearly, if you're eating some food in a keto ketosis approach, then you can go on for probably several years. There's not going to be very many people. And I don't think it's even necessary or healthy because I think once you start your body, starts creating ketones, even though you still have loads of weight to lose, you've trained your body to be metabolically flexible. And I think it's far healthier to go cyclical going to this feast and famine cycling uh, while you're recovering from the damage you've done over decades, more than likely, of abusing your body by not understanding the principles, the basic foundational simple principles once you get it, of how to optimize your health with respect to diet and the timing of your foods. Uh, Another important question asked by Bobby is what's the difference between keto and Atkins? Interestingly, Dr. Atkins, who passed away in 2004, the year I wrote my first book, uh, which is called The No Brain Diet. And uh, I believe the same year that our website became the most visited natural health site in the world, prior to that it was Dr. Atkins. And um, he is a major pioneer in helping Really, people understand that ketones are not dangerous because Tammy asked another question Is keto acidic? I would imagine that specifically, an acidic type of diet, and can ketosis cause acidosis? So, excessive ketones that you see in type 1 diabetes um, can cause uh, an acidosis, and in fact, can be very dangerous. It can kill people. It's very uncommon, though. Um, and the solution is just to have some simple sugar but if you are not a type 1 diabetic and not many people are uh, you would know if you are uh, then it's it's almost physiologically impossible to go into metabolic acidosis from ketones and the ketones are, are not acidic at physiological levels and in fact they do the exact opposite They're, they are probably one of the most Important biological signaling molecules that you're, you can possibly produce. Now, let me modify that. That, that most people aren't producing, because I would say it's less than five percent of the people in the country are producing this. Maybe it's ten percent, but I think it's probably under five percent. Considering eighty-five percent of people aren't even, no, ninety percent of people aren't even even time restricted. So, I think that's safe. So Emma goes on to ask, "I've heard mixed stories about her keto was healthy long term or not, which is true." Uh, sort of wrapping up on Bobby's or uh, oh, I never answered Bobby's question: the difference between keto and Atkins. So they went on a tangent. I love going on tangents. Um, the difference between keto and Atkins. I acknowledge Dr. Atkins for his really important contributions. Uh, I wouldn't follow an Atkins program, but I think it was a good start. I mean, he was the pioneer, he, he started this, he was the first person to widely spread this message. So his focus was primarily on uh, low carb and didn't really focus on the quality of the food. In fact, he was an advocate of Splenda, we you know which is not good for you, and you new know, documents and evidence. I wrote a book in that called Sweet Deception, but even since I wrote that book, which is over 10 years old now, um, there's been enormous amount of research supporting that supposition. So um, Atkins doesn't really pay attention to food timing, <laughs> or, or probably is another important aspect is you know the food time restricted eating and the quality of the food. So it, didn't, it wasn't organic food, and, you know, and uh, I think it was just too much meat. So it didn't. It was. It was a good start, but it, it's so much better. It's. It's a very primitive form, and you probably many people do get benefits, but you know they sort of plateaued out, and it's not something you want to continue long term. Okay, following up on Emma's question, Imbo imo, baro, Baroy sounds like a Filipino name. Is it really possible to progress to harmful ketosis from nutritional ketosis in a healthy person? Uh, Anything's possible more than likely, but it's pretty close to physiologically impossible. I mean, you could convert to type one diabetes. You'd almost have to do that, or you might be able to um, I don't know how you would I mean there might be drugs to eliminate insulin from your system, you know, that can block it or bind to it. it. Essentially that's what it is. Type one diabetes is you have no insulin. So if you eliminate insulin, that's the only in your body making excess ketones, then you can go. Of problems, but essentially it's almost impossible. Um, Jack Finn asked how to implement detoxification with keto and fasting. Well, that's why I wrote the book Keto Fasting because a big section of the book is really directed to how you optimize your body's ability to eliminate toxins from your fat. And that's one of the reasons why I elected to not recommend multiple day water fasting. I think they are there may be cases for it, but it's probably not the wisest for nearly everyone. I um, may change that position, but right now I'm pretty convinced it's a pretty rational strategy. Um, the reason being is that the toxins that we're exposed to are almost, there's tens of thousands of them, they're almost universally fat-soluble, they're stored in your fat cells, and as a result, they get liberated when you, you're not eating food, so you want to pulse that a bit, and uh, you don't want to do multiple days of water fast because you're, you need nutrients and protein to support your liver's ability primarily to metabolize or modify those toxins so the body can eliminate excrete them. And that's not done well in a, in a multiple day fasting. But I was thinking about this this morning or earlier this week. And it's interesting how we go through cycles because intermittent fasting is a form of fasting. It's a 16 day 16 hour to 18 hour restricted eating window. So you're not eating anything in those at that, that, that time. So that's one form of fasting. And then on top of that, you do the partial fast, and you do the intermittent fasting every day. And I may change that again too. But I just really think I, it to me, it just doesn't make sense not to do it. I don't know of any biological reason that it would be unnecessary uh, or counterproductive. So. That's the, the normal strategy. And partial fasting or keto fasting you, do, you can do twice a week, but you may do a water fast. And this, you know, may change my mind on this maybe once or twice a year, multiple day water fast, but I still think, you know, I'm personally not gonna do it. I've done five-day water fast at least four or five times now. And it's I can do it, it's not a struggle, but I just think it's counterproductive, and I would not recommend to do it. So Leon Leona Lee asked, hi, is it worth doing a DNA to see if your genetics are suitable for fat adaptation? If so, which one? Are you allowed to take supplements with salts, black coffee, and a water fast? So you don't need to do your DNA testing for, to do this. It's really uh, appropriate for just about everyone except four categories, which, you know, is." really important to understand if you have an eating disorder you don't want to do this if you are underweight if you are pregnant or if you're breastfeeding so those are four categories of individuals who should not do this because you know there are certain phases of life where you need to be anabolic uh, in other words building tissue up not destroying it or not destroying but uh, recycling it and removing it which is a catabolic phase so uh, and breastfeeding and um, pregnancy would be two classic examples. So um, you definitely should take salt when you're partial fasting. It's not as important as a multiple-day water fasting because if you don't, you'll get what's called keto flu, which is typically a, a deficiency of sodium uh, and can easily be circumvented by just taking salt. Just and I, I like to use a fine, grade salt pour it and palm my hand just lick it and it tastes really good when you haven't eaten anything. But uh, black coffee on a water fast typically is okay. I, I think water is probably better, but I know some people like their caffeine, but if you do have a, a beverage like caffeine or tea, you certainly don't want to put any calories in it like butter or MCT oil while you're in a partial pass phase. So, vegetarian, Pranolica, Leica Cade 70, probably a 49 year old vegetarian, um, ask, I'm a vegetarian don't consume eggs, so how to follow the keto diet? And then uh, similar that, uh, question comes from Kati one how can you do a vegetarian keto protein? You could do it really easily. It's not that hard. Uh, I don't think it's the wisest strategy. I think you, you, most everyone benefits from some animal protein. Uh, if you're really rigid about it, then I think the, the, the least you can do are eggs unless you're allergic to them, and they should be cooked properly, uh, not overcooked, which is the major danger to them, and ideally uh, pastured eggs that are organic, uh, or fish, or fish fat. Uh, but you can't do this without it, and es- essentially, the, the, the challenge is that vegetable foods are typically not high in calories. The only exceptions would be ones that have high fat, so that would be uh, obviously, any of the oils like olive oil, uh, coconut oil, avocado. I don't prefer avocado oil. They have, I have, a whole, I have a whole food. And nuts. Um, the two best nuts would be macadamia nuts, which are pretty pricey. Uh, they've gone up even since I started keto a few years ago. They uh, used to be able to get 25 pounds for under $300, and now it's over $400, I think. So it's like $13, $14 a pound. Uh, And then pecans can also be used. So those are very calorically dense so that you can get the calories you need. Uh, And then you can just pick the vegetables. Now the problem with vegetables though is uh, they're full of phytonutrients which can support your health. But they also have some downsides, things like leptins uh, that Stephen Gundry uh, is popularized as being protective for the plants and not necessarily supportive of our health, in fact, can contribute to autoimmune diseases. So I'll, I'll talk about that later with some other questions coming up. Now we we'll go into the section called carbs and Tamara or Maliki Wong asked, what counting carbs do we count net or total? Ideally you want to do net, if you want to be a little more accurate and, and precise, total would be best. Uh, the reason why net is usually acceptable is because that is the total carbs minus the fiber. And the fiber typically isn't thought to be digested uh, and contribute to the caloric load. So, so I can get away with net. It becomes less of an issue though uh, in keto fasting because the, it's, it really only, it becomes important when you're in the ketosis phase, which is the initial part of the program. So when you're if attained metabolic flexibility, your body has the ability to essentially switch more easily back and forth, so you don't have to be as rigid with the carb restriction. Um, Mark, uh, Mariana asked a similar question about that, that's her answer, and Marta, how long before your body starts craving carbs and how do you mentally wrap yourself, No, wrap, warp yourself, into believing that you don't need it. Well, Marta, it's pretty uncommon for your body to be wrong. Occasionally it is, but usually you want to listen to what your body tells you. But in the case where you're metabolically inflexible, it's giving you false signals because you can't burn fat. So you have no other choice if you want to essentially keep your brain supplied with fuel other than to replenish your calories with carbohydrates. Now, if you had intelligence, which we all do, and understood that you have to do a short step backwards and deprive your body of carbohydrates so that you can teach it to burn fat, and that transition could occur very quickly. It could occur in a week or two weeks. I have a person who uh, is a consultant for me on a regenerative agriculture project that I'm uh, doing next to my house, and he, is in his early seventies, I believe, and he had a host of health problems. Just, I love this man, but uh, he was probably 50 pounds overweight and a diabetic, taking medications for it, and taking steroids for another problem, and uh, I basically put him on a specialized type of keto, keto diet that worked for him, and literally within one week, his blood sugars were normal. Blood sugars were normal within a week, and he was metabolically flexible, producing ketones. So, uh, you know, this this is definitely something that you can do. There's no question about it. Uh, and you just have to have a little self-discipline and willpower in that transition period. And yes, there's no question it's gonna be a bit challenging, but it's okay, you know. It's, this is a long marathon, it's not a sprint. And there were loads and loads and loads of questions about cholesterol levels. And there is so much confusion about this. now. I recently interviewed Malcolm Kendrick, who's a physician like myself, a family physician, and just really an astute reader of the literature and sort of passionate about this area. And he's one of the the, uh, leading writers in this field, from my viewpoint, along with Zoe Harcombe, who really have provided us with a perspective and framework to understand that total cholesterol levels are virtually worthless. Let me highlight that. Worthless is a risk factor for heart disease. Now that may sound astounding, but it's true. So you can basically, Norman, yes, even if you have familial hypercholesterolemia, because it's not that cholesterol is the cholesterol that's a problem. There's a, a whole wide variety of other metabolic factors that is associated with it. And as he Eloquently, eloquently explains an upcoming interview I'm doing with Muncher Publishing in a month or so. Uh, it has more to do with plasminogen and the plasminogen dis- disturbances in that physiology and when it is disrupted then you can lead to clots which can obstruct blood flow and cause things like heart attacks and stroke. So he relates many anecdotal examples, which I was shocked to hear, I didn't realize it, but of a dozen or more people who've had cholesterol levels of seven, 800, living to be 90 or 100 years old, not having any incidence of heart disease at all. You know, Previously, I thought that those were the only exceptions that those people probably should consider something like a statin. And statins do lower cholesterols, but more importantly, they appear to provide some benefit in heart disease. Overall, I don't know that that's true. There's this massive distortion that, that is used to confuse and deceive you of the uh, difference between relative and the absolute risk. So uh, they will promote the side effects as a absolute risk. So the risk of side effects were only one or 2%, when in actuality, it might be a 50% increase in these side effects or a 100% increase. So they, you know, whatever is, convenient to support their recommendation of the drug company, they'll use those statistics, and they will be technically correct, they're not lying, but they're abusing the perception and using it to twist the truth, so. Uh, they don't really save any people's life. but the benefits that statins do provide aren't related to lowering cholesterol at all. They're lower, they're probably another number, number of different mechanisms, uh, could be increasing nitric oxide, could be increasing the NRF2 pathway, and for medically increasing internal antioxidants. So the bottom line though is do not, do not waste your time worrying about cholesterol and do not take a step. Yes, they do provide some benefits, but you can get those benefits less expensively and virtually sure no risk by a wide variety of other strategies, which I discussed in my interview with Dr. Kendrick. So fasting. Dino, Palomino, Another Italian asked, "Does having coffee with half and half break your fast?" It's Lin asked, "Is drinking coffee in the morning mess up my first meal and final meal at 7 p.m.?" Well, It's Lynn, your final meal is too late unless you're going to bed at 11 o'clock. Uh, I wouldn't recommend eating after 6 p.m. Yeah, I know that's an issue, if, you know, because social at, um, and community factors are. Massively important for your health and connecting with your family or your spouse is. But, you know, you can't, it's important for everyone to eat earlier. And if you eat late, just the smallest meal, there's no question it's the lightest meal of the day. And Tan, through, can you drink tea with a small amount of milk? Donna asks, does using a small amount of nut pods in my coffee in the morning break my fast? So, guys, any time you have calories, it's breaking your fast. I don't care what it is. Water's not gonna break your fast, there's no calories. You can flavor it or put some uh, supplements in there. Supplements typically don't break your fast. Some might, at least short-term, like if you're taking omega-3 fatty acids, that's obviously a source of calories. But most supplements are either vitamins, minerals, or herbal preparations, or phytochemicals. They typically don't break your fast. But if you're going to have coffee or tea, it needs to be black. Uh, If you're seeking to use that, As your window for either not eating, you know, that six hour window where, or the 16 to 18 hour window where you're not eating, or you're partial fasting, so you don't want to do that. So is it, Karen Knack asks, is it recommended to weight train during extended fast? When you're not refeeding your muscles, any protein for at least 24 hours after a workout? are good questions and highlights a real important process, which I'm not certain that I understood or at least clearly articulated in the book. So this is sort of an addendum to the book, Keto Fasting. Um, I think I mentioned it, but I'm not sure that it's articulated as well. So what I now fully appreciate is that your growth hormone increases quite dramatically when you're partial fasting. It does a little bit when you're intermittent fasting, but the partial fast, which is a 42 hour fast on three to five hundred calories, uh, that morning after you've had only those three to five hundred calories the previous day, and then the first the last meal before that was 18 hours ago. So in other words, you're 43 hours out eating, your growth hormones are pretty high, typically two to three hundred percent higher. So that ideally folks is when you want to work out, especially strength training. So right before your first meal of the next day your first refeed is when you want to train that's exactly what i did this morning i didn't eat yesterday um i lost four pounds which is not something i'm seeking to do but it just happens pretty much every it's really difficult for me to lose less than four pounds when i partial fast which i don't lose when i'm doing intermittent fast i've almost never lose weight so and it's not that you're losing muscle mass or you're losing water that's all water because you're depleting your glycogen stores, which is healthy to do, and glycogen actually requires water to be stored. So when you're burning your glycogen, you're also releasing water. So you're not losing lean muscle tissue, especially with the keto fast, because keto fast, you're eating still 50% of your protein. So you, and even if you didn't, there's pretty supportive evidence that fasting inhibits protein breakdown. So uh, there's some intriguing molecular mechanisms that contribute to that so so the thing is that you do the strength training after you've done the partial fast day and then you plan and then you know i'm finishing my hour workout with my with my, uh, my coach my personal trainer and uh you know the i'm looking at the clocks now man, i'm really going to enjoy my food when i finish this workout and uh as part of my regenerative agriculture project i have like 50 blueberry bushes and this is the season for blueberries so i picked up i had in the car waiting to go home was like I don't know, a pint or a quart of blueberries I was eating on the way home, which was just so good. Uh, it's interesting; these blueberries are. It seems like it's like a, almost a four-week harvest period, which I didn't realize. This was the first year I'm harvesting that, it, so it's really good. So then, you, after you do the strength training, you are eating a lot of good food, and I mentioned the blueberries, but you can have regular fruits after that. And the, the benefit of that is that you know you've fat, you've done your strength training, fasted, your growth hormone is high, insulin levels low. You. have flip the switch on building muscle mass, and then you go and increase your insulin. You activate mTOR with high carbs, healthy carbs, like healthy fruit, organic fruit, uh, ideally, stuff for yourself. And uh, then you have extra protein too, protein that is full of branched-chain amino acids that will activate mTOR. So the protein does that and the extra carbs do, do that. So And you get auto, you phase out of autophagy. You don't want to be recycling and repairing, you want to be building muscle mass in in your other tissues because your stem cells have been activated during the partial fast and now you have activated stem cells that can direct their energy to to repair, which is exactly what you want to do. So now we go into some medical conditions. And Slick Pa asks, in ketosis, do you address how type 2 diabetic can benefit from this lifestyle? In fast, not in ketosis. And I do. Interesting, oh, the other condition, you know, I don't I know if I neglected to mention, but the person, my agricultural expert that I was helped mentoring through this process, he had type two diabetes. His blood sugar is 130, and 150, and basically his blood sugar is 90. I mean, this is like after, it's, it's under three weeks, I think it's somewhere two or three weeks on this program. So it, this turns it around. It, this will cure virtually, and I use cure in the strictest definition, as long as you follow it long-term, every type of type two diabetes, it's just have to be able to follow it, uh, and comply, not well comply, just understand it and implement it. Now there may be some minor tweaks in that, but it will, I mean there's no question, because it, why? Because it addresses the foundational reason why people have type two diabetes, which is? insulin resistance, the re- insulin receptors, sensitivity is blunted. so as a result of that, you need more and more levels of insulin to get the same beneficial action, because insulin is good, insulin isn't evil. You don't want low levels of insulin the rest of your life, and certainly no in- levels of insulin, it's called type one diabetes. So it's just like the feast and, fasting, feast and famine in part in keto fasts, that you feast and famine. High insulin, low insulin, high insulin, not necessarily high, but higher insulin. So, because insulin it, it generates some really important anabolic or muscle building signals, and you definitely want it high, elevated or higher than it is when you're fasting uh, to get the benefits.